Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a world-class consulting firm that trains employees in sports psychology secrets that drastically improve work performance. Founder Joe Ross is retired Army. He was an Army fullback who later coached at West Point, and he puts that experience to use for his clients. We appreciate Joe Ross sponsoring this podcast. And today, I mean, this is uh, Higher Echelon is a, is a perfect sponsor for today's podcast where we talk about a little bit about the mental side of sports and uh, also uh, uh, former former Army football players, too. Um, so we'd like to welcome in Doug Chadwick and Andy Reese to the podcast. Guys, thanks for joining us th- this morning. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it, Sal. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, thanks, Sal. Thanks, Sal. I've been, uh, been a fan of yours for many years now, too, so thanks for having us. No doubt. We, we usually start these podcasts about how, you know, you got to West Point and uh, the journey there first, how the journey starts. Um, maybe if you guys would like to share your stories about how you get to West Point. And I know that, you know, Doug, you, you, you were on the 96 team that had a lot of success. And then, Andy, you kind of followed in that. You, you, were, the, you were the year after that, right? But, I mean, so you guys uh, came, you're we really close together. And Doug was telling the story about how you guys kind of got together as uh, kind of friends, and we maybe you can include that kind of in, in in your thoughts. Yeah, sure. I let me let me go ahead and start, Andy. We'll do it chronologically uh, since I was older. <laughs> um, I, I came in in the early '90s, uh, and very much I'm I'm a Californian, uh, as is Andy. So we're coming from the West Coast. Um, where, you know, you just don't, didn't hear as much about academy football, especially, um, army or Navy, not as much as you would about air force. And, uh, so I really didn't know much about it. Um, I knew, you know, some, some, my mentors and older people in my life, my parents and coaches were excited about the opportunity, more excited than I was, to be honest. Um, but it was really football that, that grabbed my attention. I was recruited um, a little bit heavier my senior year uh, coming out of California by them, then some of the other schools. And uh, kind of late in my senior year, uh, well beyond the time that most people are you know, finishing their applications, they're already submitted. I remember that the, my recruiter coming out and going, hey, come on, just finish your application. You know, we'll send you to the prep school. Um, so I, I went a, with a little bit of trepidation uh, out to uh, Fort Monmouth and um, had a great experience there with football in particular. I mean, the other stuff was difficult, uh, but football was for me a highlight of, of that experience. Uh, I was an offensive lineman and, and uh, you know, I ended up having a great year and, and the team had a great year. We had some very talented players. Ron Lashinsky was on that team and, um, you know, guys that would end up having an impact on Army football for, for the next uh, four years. And so, um, you know, through that experience, I, I matriculated into the academy uh, from 93 to 97 with, uh, with Army football. Um, very different experiences with the quality of the, of the stuff we were putting on the field. Uh, early on, it was average to below average. Um, and, you know, throughout the arc of my career there, we really kind of changed the level of play uh, to to being able to compete with teams at, at the highest level. And so 
Um, I was fortunate enough to get to play varsity all four years and, and uh, was behind a couple of really, really good offensive guards the first uh, three years. Um, you know, Joel Davis and Eddie Stober, who were fantastic at their positions, and then got an opportunity to start uh, my, my first year on that 96 team. Um, and that through that experience, it really solidified the importance of the mental aspects of, of player development. We had great, uh, not only a great trainer in, in Dr. Nate Zinzer, who was working in the center at the time, was the first civilian that was brought in at the time. Um, but we had great coaches that were also really, really invested in the mental side of things. Bob Sutton, you know, was was certainly a, uh, an intellectual in that regard and, and somebody who was who was integrating that stuff uh, from an early, very early time when when most schools weren't were considering you know that as a, as a, as a, meth, a method of player development. Uh, and then, and, you know, Mike Sullivan, who's who's back involved with uh, with Army football, was one of our assistant coaches, you know, former graduate uh, or graduate of West Point, former player uh, who helped uh, who actually worked in the center part time while we were while he was coaching. And he was bringing that stuff very much to life for us uh, and integrating that into our daily experiences as Army football players. So for me, that whole experience really establish the importance of of mental skills development and it made it feel very normal you know it was what everybody you know that we didn't know any different we only played you know for army so that was part of our experience and it really was, was crystallized by having a lot of success uh that first year yeah andy maybe you could tell us your kind of west point the start of your west point journey yeah, I appreciate it. So again, uh, Doug and I are from the best coast. I'm from the northern part uh, of California, a uh, little town called Oakdale. I, again, didn't I, I wouldn't say I was from a military family, uh, but my sister and brother-in-law were my oldest. I have four sisters. My oldest sister was in Desert Storm with my brother-in-law, who was an infantry officer. Uh, unfortunately, he was killed tragically outside of Fort Hood in 1994, and um, and, and I ended up having she ended up having to come home, um, you know, and, and was really distraught. Uh, what we know probably had PTSD at this time, didn't have a word for that then, um, but ended up switching schools and just kind of launched uh, my trajectory in, into football at the high school level. Um, at, so my um, brother Ratliff, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel, was an 88 grad and is a was a great football player in the late 80s, along with Mike Sullivan, um, was was uh, stick buddies in flight school with my brother-in-law. So they're both infantrymen and Desert Storm turned uh, aviators. And so brother and Christy Ratliff came back to, to uh, Oakdale to visit my sister. I met them uh, along with a guy, named, uh, another uh, 91 grad named Eric Schmacher and Jay Voorhees. And those guys were just my mentors. And I wanted to be like those guys. And so brother sent my VHS tape to uh, the West Coast recruiter, Mike Sullivan. And then here we go. And I went to the prep school just like Doug did. Um, you know, looking back, I really didn't have any business going to West Point at the time. Um, I wasn't a blue chip recruit. Um, you know, I, I, I did. I ended up doing really, really well on the football field at the prep school. Though I was a fullback, um, and so was the offensive MVP with you know an Army football legend who just passed away uh, in Lyle Weaver, and uh, but just really struggled academically from day one, especially on the math side of things. I, I did not get into West Point right away. Um, you know, was was really on my way out. Uh, I was going to go back to California with my tail between my legs and walk on to Fresno State, uh, which was an upcoming program then, and. Um, uh, the last day we graduated, I got into West Point and um, 
that was just really kind of a, you know, what I call uh, my journey into deliberate discomfort and, uh, and, and part of who, what made me who I am today. And, you know, not just trying to be physically and socially tough, but how to be mentally tough, you know, and, and push through adversity and stay motivated and pursuing your goals. And uh, so just, you know, going to West Point was a, just a different scenario. I was in the, I was 1996 when Doug was playing in that magical uh, season and seeing them play. Um, and then we just looked up to them and we wanted to be like them and carry on that tradition. And unfortunately, um, you know, we, things turned sideways pretty quick. And, um, you know, I, I think we won 11 games over four years. It was really the beginning of a kind of the, the you know, if, if Doug was in the Renaissance period of Army football then and we went into the dark ages like really quick, right, for two decades. And it was a difficult four years, a time of transition um, with, you know, the sudden era coming to an end my senior year. Todd Berry comes in, and guess what? They don't have a fullback. They have an H-back. What the hell is that? I don't even know what the hell an H-back is. Um, and so, you know, I just was struggling on and off the field uh, my sophomore years when I found the SEP, and it was because I was stuck. Like a lot of athletes who are just trying to, you know, get by and survive at West Point. Uh, Coach John Milligan, shout out to, to, to Millie. Uh, and, and John Riddle said, hey, you should probably go see the SEP. And I met a, a then-captain, Carl Olson. Um, who later went on to become Dr. Carlson and retired uh, was a, as a CEP in Army football legend um, and leader in our field. Uh, he's now at Penn State. But then, you know, like, you know, just like Joe Ross and all these other officers like Doug and I were, he was working with me one on one. And so this, you know, this this set of skills that helped me not just survive and get by on the field and be better on the field, but also be better in the classroom, be better militarily. Um, you know, do we call optimal performance, like not peak performance, like, hey, like I wasn't like at my A game, but I was at my C game and I was getting a C plus, barely C plus. Right. But uh, to me, that's where I really learned about, hey, you know, it's mental toughness is all about getting the most out of what you have, uh, where you are at any given time consistently. Right. And and for me, that was just getting by to get by. Um, and I was a role player. And and I, that's part of what I'm here to, to represent is the 90 percent army football players who who her game day isn't on Saturdays and mine wasn't my, my game days was on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays on house field, man, just getting after it. And uh, for those guys that are out there who are role players, your scout teamers, you're, you're the guys who are, you know, uh, get to dress out and, and participate. And then just understand that, you know, I, I'm living proof that, you know, you, you don't have to be a starter to on the football field to be a starter in life. Um, and that they're, what you're learning, you know, as a role player and, you know, becoming a follower, being a good teammate, knowing your role serves you really well as a, as an army leader. And, you know, uh, I, I just think that uh, it, the brotherhood that I was a part of, and this is living proof of that. I mean, Doug and I are at different eras and different times, different experiences at West Point. Uh, but what we had in common was this, right. You know, it was army football and, you know, there were times I wanted to quit, honestly, Sal, but I, I kept on going because my best friends were on football and there was no way that I was going to let them down, um, you know, even in, in the darkest periods when we were losing and it just was a struggle, you know. And so um, I'm just really incredibly thankful for that as I look back and I just wanted to, to send that message. And, and Doug was uh, met him later on. I know we're going to talk about that, was bringing me along uh, to come back to West Point and to be in this field is just something I'm incredibly thankful for and proud to be uh, with him on this journey. No doubt, Doug. We talked a little bit about before the podcast. We talked about uh, your relationship with Joe Ross. I mean, he was a teammate, and also uh, maybe uh, drew you back to West Point a little bit with the, with this uh, with the uh, the mental side of sports, and um, you know, the Center for uh, Enhanced Performance. Talk talk about that. Yeah. So Joe and I were teammates. Um, 
Jim was two years ahead of me. He was a 95 grad. I was 97. Uh, so we knew each other pretty well. And uh, we hadn't really stayed in contact too much, but uh, through um, some mutual friends, teammates, Joe was looking for somebody to come back to the center uh, to work, but I was just heading into uh, a deployment into Iraq. This is the end of 2003, 2000, beginning of 2004. And uh, so we had, we started some conversations about the potential to come back. And when I was in Iraq as a commander, in a very difficult environment, I was an artillery officer, but we had taken over an infantry role. We had half of, uh, we had an entire capital city uh, with our task force. And so I ended up commanding a, a company with half or half of a city of about 350,000 people. Um, and so very violent, very uh, volatile uh, environment. Started thinking through, through these conversations with Joe about how the mental skills could apply in this context, you know, in this very different context. Um, so the conversations with Joe were, were critical, but they, they, uh, encouraged me to look up some things about sports psychology. I've been on the user end as an athlete, but didn't really understand the, any of the real applications, uh, beyond that, uh, until I, I got on a computer and started looking things up, uh, about sports psychology in that deployment, in the middle of that deployment. And, you know, through that contact with Joe, I, I, I found some people that were very influential in the field. I actually ordered uh, a book by a, a guy named Dr. Ken Rabiza. It's called Heads Up Baseball. And Heads Up Baseball is, is kind of one of the seminal texts for applied sports psych work. And I ended up using uh, Heads Up Baseball as a mental skills guide while I was working in Iraq. Uh, really not knowing the importance of, of Ken in, in this field, but just from the simplicity of the way things were laid out and, and how applicable they could be, uh, even in a very different context. So that was all through my connection uh, to Joe. And, and through that connection, I was fortunate enough to get to go do a graduate degree while I was still in the Army. Uh, in, in kinesiology and sports psychology. And I, I was very deliberate in picking my mentor, who was Ken Revisa, <laughs> uh, and, and getting to study under him for a, a couple of years. And then coming back to West Point uh, while Joe was still there and, and finishing his assignment working, as, uh, working in the center. And Joe was, was pivotal in getting these programs started uh, to not only teach this this material throughout the army but contextualizing it and changing the language around it and and bringing it to life for uh the soldier population and the soldier's families populations and so uh yeah that was all through joe uh early on and then getting to to work under carl olson who was the trainer back when I was finishing my cadet career and got to work with the, with Andy and a number of folks down the road. Carl was the first one that got to go, first officer who got to go do a graduate degree in sports psychology uh, and then come back to work with cadets. And, and he worked with a lot of us uh, from, the, from the time he was a, a captain all the way through his retirement as a lieutenant colonel. So it's kind of one of the, you know, there's multiple threads that, that, you know, connected us, but, uh, 
certainly that Army Football Network and Brotherhood. And it's not just a, it wasn't like a good old boy friends kind of thing. It was who were the right folks that came from those roots to, to, to come back to the center and, and be able to work uh, on many different levels, uh, not only in terms of, of working with the team and working with other cadet athletes, but working with soldiers and, and helping them understand the applicability of, of some of these different frameworks. Andy, talk about how you met Doug and how you guys are kind of a, how, a, you know, working in that in the men, on the mental side of sports uh, kind of brings you guys together. Yeah, it was uh, it was I'll never forget the day when I was in my second deployment in Iraq and uh, I'm out at some like combat outpost in the middle of Nineveh province, Mosul, Iraq, northern Iraq. And I was on a uh, I was a combat advisor to the Iraqi army infantry unit and uh you know, which to now I look back and it was called combat coaching where you're training, advising, assisting uh, the Iraqi army, a, a mission that I wasn't felt I was really well trained for or prepared for or was thrown together with 12 guys. Um, this is a time in the army when we were trying to stand the Iraqi army up so we could start to leave and, and stand down. There was, and obviously it's a traditional mission for a special operation, specifically Green Berets. Obviously it's a small population, not enough of those guys to be able to do that. So they were recruiting field artillerymen, field artillery officers like Doug and I, to go do that. Doug would end up going doing a similar mission later on, you know, in his career as well, too. So we both got MIT, uh, the military training team. And, um, you know, so it was a very difficult deployment. Uh, it's been 15 months um, over there. Saw a lot of combat, probably about a quarter way through, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And um, I'd missed the birth of my, uh, my second son, um, you know, was in you know, about 10 year mark in the army, was really seriously thinking about getting out of the army. I was supposed to go to the 101st to try to command again. Um, I'd been a basic training commander, you know, prior to this deployment and, uh, you know, they were going to go right back. And so we were thinking about, Hey, just pulling off on the roadside of life. And, you know, so I was looking at maybe like being a, a, a ROTC at a university, being an assistant professor of military science, which, you know, you're kind of that broadening time of your career where you get to go do something else outside of your career field. And I just get this email through the army football brotherhood network, uh, from, uh, Doug Chadwick. And I remember his name from that 1916, we had never met. Didn't know him from Adam. I had heard about Joe Ross. He was starting to kind of do a lot of feeling out to try to recruit the Army Football Network to come back in these roles um, as the center would expand to do outreach in the Army, uh, which I would participate in later. Um, and so I just immediately re responded back to Doug. We started talking, uh, you know, me through a satellite phone, you know, when I would have service and uh, doing doing our thing. And this immediately clicked. Um, and then obviously Carl was now the SEP director, he remembered me. Um, and so it was, they were bringing me back, but this, but unlike Doug, I, I didn't come back to, to with like a lot of um, instructors at West Point or, or assistant professors I didn't get, it wasn't tied to a master's degree. So it was a direct fill, which was great for me because at the time, again, I was thinking about getting out of the army. And um, when I came back, I just, you know, I remember sitting in my first instructor course and, and first of all, it was imposter syndrome. I was walking around cause I was not a good cadet, you know, and I was thinking to myself, Hey, like, you know, well, who's it? Who's, where's, where's Colonel Adamchek who's going to pop out and knife hand me and tell me that I don't belong here? And I'm looking for the professors up in uh, Bartlett Hall who said, hey, what are you doing here, Reese? And, and you know, and I, I wanted to go back and be the anti-professor. And I wanted to be the guy who's, who was something who could who could coach and mentor the, the, the cadets who were not good cadets, who, who were struggling, who I knew were going to be good Army officers, but oftentimes get overlooked, whose island in the storm was the SEP. And so um, it just was an amazing opportunity and the lights really came on. Um, I fell in love with the field 
like Doug, I had a lot of experience. I had a lot of personal experience and in my multiple deployments that I had up at this point, I understood the combat was a thinking person's game about how to be confident despite setbacks, how to be, have composure in extreme circumstances, how to, um, you know, make decisions under duress um, and all those things that are in the intangibles of leadership that really were at a premium now because you can't train for everything physically, technically, and tactically. You have to be prepared mentally and socially as well. And so, you know, again, Doug, what and I say, hey, Doug, can you send me some recommended reading? What's the first book that I read? Heads Up Baseball by Ken Revisa. Um, and, you know, I'm reading The Inner Game of Tennis by Tim Galloway, and I'm reading In Search of the Warrior Spirit. And uh, that just was just really fell in love with the field early on. And um, just, you know, and then then it became a, a really paramount time in the military because now all the all these West Point grads like Doug and I who have graduated and are going out to the Army are now seeing what we're seeing, you know, as they're deploying and coming back and, and training, preparing and getting in that cycle. They're reaching back to the SEP to demand those services because they see how important the mental part of training is to enhance the, their performance or the performance of their teams. And so now the Army Center Enhanced Performance was born, you know, really doing large part to Joe Ross, uh, going back to him, our sponsor here. Um, and it really got it to become a program of record. Uh, we had six sites at the time. I was kind of dual hatted. So most of my, I would say about 80% of what I was doing at the time uh, was outside of the Army, doing outreach, you know, uh, supporting all those units that were getting ready to go to combat who did not have an Army Center for Enhanced Performance, basically a SEP at an Army location. Our first one was the Fort Bragg. We had six sites. And to put that in perspective, 12 years later, that program has expanded to we have over 30 sites, almost 300 sport and performance psychology practitioners. We're the, the Army is the largest employer of sport and performance psychologists in the world. A lot of people don't know that. And it, and it all started at West Point, you know, and, and it's really bled over into the corporate side, into athletics. And um, and so it, I just and I also while I was there, uh, we, we had a phenomenal time. This is kind of a, a funny story. So. I'm deployed. I try to get housing. Um, and so, and, and Doug, I had to get Doug a power of attorney to sign for my house. We ended up sharing a wall and being next to our neighbors, which like, which is completely insane. And so not only did Doug and I, you know, we, we came really close. Our families became close. We both had, both our wives had babies when we were there. Uh, we had a great time. Doug was the liaison, I guess you would call it for army football club. Uh, he had started the A room. We kind of expanded that. We ran the golf tournament while we were there. Uh, Doug, of course, was and Travis Tillman were were in charge of the football team, and so they would bring me along and allow me to be able to do a little bit of work with the football team. Which that's the 2010 team. What an amazing time to be around Army football then. Coach Ellerson was was a big proponent of this stuff and too. So it just was really a special time, a pivotal time in my career that really launched me on this trajectory that I never would have had had it not been for Doug. Um, to be willing to, to send that email. And so I'm incredibly thankful for that. And, uh, you know, and we, our paths will cross again later with the Rockies. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about your interaction with football players while you were at West Point when you were working at the Center uh, for Enhancement Performance. But that 2010 team, um, I, I covered that team. Uh, it was my fourth year on the beat. And to see that team kind of um, – kind of turn things around under Rich Ellerson. And I wonder how much of that was because, you know, Andy, you talked a little bit about this, about when things are not going your way in a program and when it seems like what's the way at the end of the tunnel, right? And it seemed like that team, I mean, that's a team that to this day I'll match up in talent. Like I'll say Steve Anderson was one of the better Army linebackers that I've seen in my coverage time. Mike Gann was one of the best nose tackles that I've seen. 
Josh McNary was an NFL linebacker for heaven's sakes and was one of the best freak athletes I've seen already have maybe in my time. And, um, I mean, not just the talent, but just th these guys, um, the mental side of the game, how they were just driven to win. These are guys that were coming from successful high school programs that were winners, right? And they they always talked about um, bringing it back. I remember being at practice and Steve Anderson talking about bringing it back, bringing it back, winning football. And it turned into – guys, it's turned into, it seemed like it turned into a mentality for them. Yeah, um, I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to kind of jump in with that with that group as they were young players. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned all those guys you mentioned. I, I, I was fortunate enough to get to work with and observe and, and uh, uh, you know, Ollie Villanueva. I mean, you talk about freak athletes, you know, there, there, there was some great players. Um, I remember, you know, they, they do the ice cream social at the beginning of uh, or at the end of the summer or some some point for the plebes going through Beast. And so, of course, we, we, we picked a number of, uh, of Army football players. And my wife actually went to West Point as well. She was an Army tennis player. So we had, you know, a number of uh, football players and tennis players over to the house. And, and uh, you know, I remember uh, Trent falling asleep on my daughter's bed, you know, getting a nap in while he's there. And, uh, I, you know, while I don't judge him at all for that, it's like, man, this kid's pretty bold, you know, he knows what he wants to do here. Um, so I, that group really was a special group to get to spend a lot of time with them was, was important in my development, uh, working with athletes. But, uh, you know, I remember Steve specifically, and you can't talk a lot about their work, but just the dedication to to his craft as a, as an athlete as a ball player and as a leader uh, were so impressive and and so I you know I took a lot away from that experience um, that the emphasis that the coaching staff put on that work was critical uh, that allowed me and and whenever Andy was available and we had a number of other trainers who were integrated too but it it really does it 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 did changed the dynamic the the you know that there was a decade there of of real um panic uh around the, the the nature of the program you know or the future of the program um so having those those opportunities to work with those those individuals and that that group and see them grow i was actually uh deployed while while they were playing in the bowl game. So I wasn't able to be a part of that. I got to work with them for, you know, three and a half years. And then, and then finally they had some success. Uh, but believe me, it changed my mood to, to see an army football team win a bowl game, which they hadn't done. And I think it was 20 years, you know, it was over 20 years that since, you know, they hadn't won a game. We didn't get to win our, our bowl game either. So, uh, to see that while it was downrange and, uh, um, you know, get to experience that vicariously was really, really important to me. Real quick, I was I covered that bowl game and I was on the field for the end of that bowl game. And to see I was on the sideline seeing Trent Steelman complete that pass to David Brooks to seal the game. And just I believe I was on the sideline close to Ronnie Makeda at the time. And mm -hmm. just to see like an army football brother, an army football grad, seeing them win that bowl game in front of his eyes near where he grew up playing football, you know, was just incredible just to see the reactions from 
like Doug, you said, the grads from that game and the, and the pride that there was. And I, you know, I'm a Seattle Mariners fan, right? And I, I see that Ken Griffey Jr. and that '95 team that beat the Yankees saved baseball in Seattle, right? Well, that 2010 team for Army football really provided some hope for the for fans in the program, right? I mean, it might have not have gone after that season the way things maybe could have went, but I mean that team provided a lot of hope and you looked at the players that were on that team and where they are now and where they are now in life, just knowing Steve and where he is now in his military career. Trent um, is coaching and doing what he loves to do at Eastern Kentucky. Um, you have Josh McNary. He's more on the business side now, but had, had a stint in the NFL. I mean, that was a, I just want to, I think sometimes that team maybe doesn't get enough credit because there's so much success having right now in this era of Army football that I think that I just wanted to drop that in, just my perspective. But Andy, maybe you could maybe you could follow that a little bit. Well, by work, you know, just uh, maybe like you said, maybe you were tagging along with Doug during that time and just the the, the bonds that you made with the players. Yeah, it, I, I've embraced the role of the support dude for you know my entire career and and uh, just being in in a position to. You know, and Doug really modeled this and the, like, hey, you know, people who are mental performance coaches play a critical role, like working with teams and coaches and players. But they're not they're not in the, at the tip of the spear. They're not in the forefront. We don't want credit. We're we're there to be able to do what's best for the players, protect their confidentiality because the middle game is very personal. Right. But I, I will tell you, like just thin slicing that at that time where I would plug in. I saw how invested those those leaders were in the mental game and in, in those intangibles of leadership, right? Because it's one thing to, like, to say, okay, well, because I'm physically tough, I'm technically sound, I can execute, that byproduct is I'm going to be mentally tough, right? And th that wasn't the case for these guys. These guys just doubled down. They said, you know, we are going to get after the mental game um, and, and we're going to improve our social bond together, right? And then we're going we're gonna to get after this. And it's cool to, to sit around and meditate and visualize and to do these things. You just don't go to the CEP because you want to go take a nap in the egg chair and BS with Doug. you like, you know, and, and you know, House is, is his nickname is. So like, or I'm just going to go down because I'm struggling academically and I'm going to go get some additional instruction and get some gouge for a big, a big uh, T coming up. No, we're going to use this to give us an edge on and off the field. And just seeing that investment in them is, I, I think, was, was one of the differences at least that yet turned the program around. And I agree with you. I mean, they, they don't get enough credit. 2010 was that class that turned army football around at that particular time. And, and I would say their investment in the mental part of their game individually and collectively was a big reason for that. It, what do you think, Doug? I, I would like to hope so. <laughs> Bias answer, of course, but uh, I, it was, it was a combination. And I think that that's what, um, you know, we try to emphasize about the mental game. It's not the mental game versus the physical preparation stuff. It's integrated and it's part of being coached and it's part of being developed from a player perspective that you you work all these aspects together. And if if the mental game, you know, gives you an inch, you talk about the game being a, a game of inches, you know, and, and how important those inches are. Uh, you know, I think about the David Brooks catch, you know, he puts it at three inches above the, the defender's hand and, and David makes a great catch over the shoulder. And I mean, you think about those aspects, um, you know, being OK, that's a that's a physical thing. But you got to have the the discipline to 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 prepare the the confidence to be able to. I mean, he may have been able to run for that first down, but 
but that wasn't Trent, you know, and, and uh, he's going to go ahead and make that throw. So I think that, that uh, that's the way we, we very much look at this work is it's not, it's not this versus that it's not the head versus the body. They're all part, they're all one, you know, and you've got to understand how your thoughts impact your emotions and your, your emotions impact your, your ability to perform under pressure. And so I would like to hope that, that our work had an impact on some of that. Yeah. I wonder how much of the work that you guys did with football. Um, I don't know if it, this, I don't know if it translates to what you're doing now. I mean, I guess it was kind of both of your guys starts with sports, um, with the mental side of sports. Is that right? I mean, with the army football team and now what you guys are doing with, uh, with baseball and, and major league baseball teams and that maybe you guys can maybe just uh, fill us in on what you guys are up to now. Maybe how, maybe that, that, that start with, um, army football got it, got it all going. Yeah, well, I mean, the the center at West Point, and and when you go to West Point as a as a cadet, you really don't know that there are other, you know, know a, a different student life. You don't know the different student services that are out there. And so when when I went to West Point, this is in the early '90s. There was this center that had, uh, you know, a couple of folks, just a few, starting with with Louis Choka, who was the visionary behind this whole thing. Colonel Louis Choka was the the founder of the center back in the late '80s, and and working with the Mike Sullivans and working with the Greg Gatsons that you know helped to establish the connection, um, and eventually got the opportunity to, to be become autonomous from the the behavioral sciences and leadership department that we didn't know any different as cadets. And so I think that exposure to it really allowed us to, to think about it in different ways. And, and certainly one of the axioms around Army athletics, Army West Point athletics is upon the fields of friendly strife. And when you think about that, that sort of visionary quote from, from over a hundred years ago, and I think General MacArthur was thinking about how the discipline, how the focus, how the motivation, how the different aspects of managing yourself under those conditions in sport can transcend into different life experiences. And of course, he's talking about the context of combat. But what we were able to see is that well, it wasn't the blocking and tackling that you were going to bring into the other side of, of uh, your life, your professional life. It was those those intangible aspects. So I think that really laid the foundation for um, that experience, but, but we didn't know any different and, and having it as integrated and uh, as uh, supported by the coaching staff and by the people around you was, was critical and for that, for that uh, program to be accepted, you know, into, into our development. Yeah. And I, and I would say that, that was what was cool about when I left West Point, um, you know, Doug was deployed. I, I left. I went and worked with the Special Forces community for uh, another five years over the remainder of my career as a fire support officer, as a joint terminal attack controller, um, again, in a support role, um, you know, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes and helping Green Berets put warheads on foreheads was my, my day job. But these guys had embraced this elite tactical athlete concept that we were familiar with as Army football players. So Green Berets who were trained, assessed, and selected, uh, for these certain traits and attributes that we're looking for, who, are, who look at themselves as like elite athletes, you know, elite tactical athletes, 
and how, you know, now we're starting to bring in these resources and surround them in that sports model that we're familiar that we work in now. And early on in, you know, probably around 2012, you know, it, obviously we're in the, the long slog of the war, right? You know, and so the, the mental game became at a premium, not just from a mental health standpoint, but also from, you know, a resilience and a mental performance side. And they didn't have, uh, at least in the 7th Special Force Group at Eglin Air Force Base, uh, where I was stationed, did not have a mental performance coach. We had strength coaches, nutritionists, we had mental health specialists, um, and we were starting to kind of build that interdisciplinary team that we see now that's that's pervasive across the Army and in, in sports, especially in baseball. And so, you know, I was moonlighting doing that, right? And I was working with Green Berets individually and as, as teams, and we, we did that at home station and then deploying to Afghanistan and and, and doing the work as we were going along. And then even giving beyond that, like teaching them how to negotiate, right? You know, and about the art and science of influence, you know, as an extension of self uh, was another cool thing to, to be a part of. And, it, and that just really opened up my eyes as far as where this field was going um, and how important it was. Because when Doug and I came in in the army as lieutenants, it was like, it was, we weren't talking about, you know, we, we'd say, I mean, think about it. We, we say, we call it behavioral health in the military. We didn't say mental health because the word mental has such a strong stigma on it. And it still does. It's not mainstream yet, but it's definitely more uh, a part of our deliberate and intentional training and preparation of how we go fight and win our nation's wars, right? So like now, if you go anywhere in the army, you know, you can't imagine not having in your installation or even now embedded in your unit through the health and uh, holistic fitness program, having a sports psychologist that you can go talk to about this, right? And help you develop a training plan, you know, as far as the mental aspects of how you shoot, move and communicate. And that's everywhere now. And, and I think, you know, it's important to, to understand that now graduates are coming out and they're not leaving behind what they learn as football players in the CEP. They have those resources available to them. And, and I'd really encourage if you're listening to to go seek those out and uh, because they're out there and it's, it's more important than ever, especially as we're kind of emerging and going back and forth with the pandemic. Yeah, how we got this podcast together, Andy, was uh, I did a, a podcast with Jacob Herdebeest, right, uh, our yeah. former Army baseball player, and that's yeah. somebody that you've uh, you've worked with, right? Um, have yes. you worked with Jacob? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if we can tr- a little transition the conversation now to what you guys are up to now and what you guys are doing, um, just just talk about the relationship that you built with Jacob and just what uh, what your role um, was with that and just getting. Uh, getting to work with him a little bit. Yeah. So I'll, I'll circle back around to Jacob, but as I was retiring from the, from the army uh, last year, you know, uh, you know, Doug, uh, I was starting to get some interest in major league baseball clubs and I was see- seeking out Doug for some advice. And uh, he's like, well, what if you came and interned with us? And now the army does a great job for those who, for those army football players or officers who are out there, there's some great transition programs to help you. I call try before you buy and play civilian before you take off the uniform whether you're getting out or you're retiring like Doug and I did. And, and I took advantage of that through the SOCOM uh, Special Operations Command. Uh, their care coalition has a warrior care program that allowed me to be able to go do several fellowships uh, that were, so I'd moved to Texas. I was at Fort Benning, my last duty assignment, or I was teaching there at the Maneuver Center, training uh, infantry and armor soldiers and, and enlisted folks. And uh, they'd moved to Texas and then I was getting ready to actually, I was still at Fort Benny in Georgia. I was getting ready to go on get on a plane to go to spring training in 2020. And, uh, and, you know, the pandemic was really hitting. I think it was Rudy Gobert and the jazz had just, they just canceled the, the playoffs and in, in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. 
and I'm talking to Doug and, and we're, it's, it's go time. And he's like, Hey, I, d- dude, don't get on a plane because you know, we're about to shut things down here and I don't want you to get stuck. I'm worried about getting home to Charleston. So here we go. And then, you know, we ended up, so I ended up working with the Rockies. I'll be remotely. Um, you know, it, I was disappointed at first, but I think it ended up being a blessing in disguise because then I became through, through Doug again, bringing me on board into major league baseball, Doug being my, uh, my sponsor, and uh, and mentored brought me in, and now I'm on the inside track as far as jobs that are open. And the, the Reds were, were building a mental skills program. It was a good fit. They're Dr. Tyler Klein, who I just worked with this last season up until Monday, and uh, it just went from there. And it, it just had a really incredible experience. You know, I've been moonlighting for 12 years. And like you know, as and as as artillery officers, combat arm officers, there's no track to become a sport performance psychologist in the military, right? And so, or to become a mental skills coach, right? You have to find a way. And I've been moonlighting and dreaming about the opportunity just to do the work and just to get the opportunity to be able to do the work with a great, a storied franchise. Like, you know, a great, first of all, a great culture like the Rockies. I mean, Doug, first of all, Doug is a leader in our field. He's not going to say this, but it, you know, he's a leader in our professional baseball uh, performance psychology group. Um, he's a respected guy in baseball uh, in a, in a industry that has a high turnover. Doug's been there a long time. And so, um, really helping me give that opportunity to work with the Reds. Um, and it was cool because as I was coming on with the Reds uh, and again, getting the opportunity to be able to do the work and get immersed to baseball, uh, Jacob got, uh, uh, Jacob was picked up as a free agent and we connected before spring training and immediately clicked. I mean, obviously there's not a lot of like Academy grads in baseball. I think there's like three or four former army baseball players. Um, ironically, my classmate, uh, um, uh, Josh Holden, shout out to Josh. I know he's going to be listening to this. He had, he had been he had tried to get with the Reds, uh, was denied that access. I, I was working for the CG at Fort Sill trying to fight for him to do that. And so when when you know here we go, you know a decade later now Jacob gets that opportunity that Josh didn't. Uh, I just was really just wanted we wanted to surround him uh, to be able to help him out. And another uh, an Air Force Academy grad was also with them. And actually, in our high A team there at Dayton. Um, in Dayton, Ohio, the Dayton Dragons is the only minor league baseball affiliate to ever have two academy grads start in a game, which is really cool. Um, and so Jacob and Jacob's just doing phenomenal. I mean, what an ambassador for Army sports and athletics and for the military. And I, I think that's what the opportunity provides. If we're doing it right, the Army's going to get a lot of bang out of the buck for those guys. Even though Jacob is an active ready reserve and he's not a commission officer, um, I, I couldn't think of a better ambassador for the game and a guy who just owns his role. He hustles. He's a leader on and off the field. Um, is it gets on base is a scoring machine and makes amazing plays in the outfield. Uh, just, you know, really embraces his role as, as a leader and a utility player and uh, just really, really proud of him. And I hope he makes it to the big league. So again, he can pave the way for, for more Academy grads to uh, see their big league dreams through. No doubt. Doug, how, how do you get involved in baseball? Uh, you know, how, 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 how does that happen for you? So uh, as I was retiring, the, the, the world or this profession in baseball has really taken hold and, and arguably the fastest growing aspect of professional baseball um, in a similar way to the, the way that analytics had, had, has grabbed on the baseball, mental skills has grown. Um, but there's, there's still some challenges around that, but teams are hiring people, not just bringing in consultants like they had for many years, Teams are hiring uh, professionals full time. Uh, and so this wasn't quite a thing yet when I was retiring back at the end of 2015, going into 16. 
And uh, I had been mentored by Ken Revisa, who was a staple. He was, his name was well, well known in, in baseball. He had worked with the Angels for uh, dating back to the early 80s, way before most most teams were integrating anybody. And he had grown up with a with a young uh, minor league coach there named Joe Madden, who would later go on to to manage uh, a number of uh, major league teams now with the Angels. Um, and so, having started that connection by reading Heads Up Baseball, I grew up uh, playing baseball. I wasn't genetically predisposed to be a baseball player, uh, but I was the big offensive lineman playing first base and DH all the way through high school. I love the game. I had an opportunity to play college football, even wrestled a little bit at West Point. Um, so those those other sports were there was more expectations for me. I, I had this this emotional connection to the game. Um, but then get going to spend a lot of time with Ken, who wasn't just known for for uh, his baseball work, but he was probably most well known for his baseball work. Uh, so as I was getting ready to retire, I had done my, my PhD, um, and I was really looking at things that were more oriented on academe with, with uh, the way that things were at West Point. The Center, the Center for Enhanced Performance is not just uh, the program for mental skills, performance psychology. It also handles all of the student services other than the clinical uh, support. So uh, any of the academic support that, that cadets are provided, and now even specific to cadet athletes where they have these uh, cadet athlete uh, support personnel, all that's in the center. So I was looking at doing something similar to that at another institution, running a student athlete support center. And Ken called me up uh, towards the end of 2015. He's like, hey, these, these teams are hiring folks full time. Uh, I know the Mets are going to look for somebody and, uh, and the Rockies guy who, who he was uh, really close with um, took another job. So the Rockies were going to be looking for somebody. And so I got on a conference. He was like, Ken was like, would you even, you know, entertain a phone call with them? And I said, of course, this is a great opportunity. Uh, not what I was looking to do, but, you know, have a, I'll certainly have a conversation with them. So I got on the phone with, with the uh, uh, assistant GM and with their player development director and some of their other folks. Uh, that that you know, five-minute phone calls turned into hour-long phone calls, and uh, it just really, I really clicked with the with them and their vision of what this could be. And uh, my first question was, how much travel is going to be involved? And um, I, I was undersold <laughs> on the amount of travel. But uh, once I started doing this, so I went directly into this role with the Rockies. Uh, back in 2016, even straight from, you know, uh, starting my terminal leave. I think I, I left West Point on a Thursday and I was in Rome, Georgia, uh, that weekend <laughs> working with, uh, working with one of our minor league teams. So, you know, from the get go, I, I was integrated and, and really got to have, uh, a lot of, um, autonomy and being able to develop the program with the Rockies. Uh, and see the growth of the field throughout baseball. And, and I do think, you know, there's some differences in baseball between some of the other professional sports that make it a little bit more welcoming to some of this work. I think the biggest part of it is the time that you get to work with prospects. 
that they come in and regardless of where they're where they're drafted, you know you're going to get a couple of years with them uh, throughout that developmental system, and not only can confuse a relationship with them, but get them to understand the nature of things and how long it does take to change the way your thoughts work habitually and how that impacts the way you play. And so I think that that helps with baseball in particular, whereas let's just, you know, the NFL, to be honest, is, is a bit more of a meat grinder thing. If you Even if you're a high draft pick, you're expected to contribute right away. And if you don't, you could be gone within a year, you know, and that's just the, the, the way things work. Uh, not that there isn't room for it in, in the other sports. It, it certainly is. Uh, it's just baseball was a, was one of the first to understand how that that could fit into their current structure. For you guys both to to stay in sports in your profession, I mean, it seems like that has been a good fit for both of you. Um, just maybe uh, talk talk about that and how there is kind of that. Um, there's a love for for that and just to, to have that opportunity to keep working with athletes and keep uh, you know have an impact on that, so to speak. Yeah. I'll jump on that too, just because, I mean, I, I, I just jumped off that train, you know, um, because of the, the, the lifestyle realities that you face that are out there very similar to the military action. I think Doug would agree with this. And I think that it made it attractive to us because like baseball is a lifestyle and you have to sacrifice a lot to commit to a long season. And, um, a lot of time on the road for us, um, baseball right now is accustomed to kind of the, the, persistent presence and, and being available. And, and it makes sense because the the coaches and the players are, you know, right. Everything is right in front of their face is what they consume um, in terms of like player development, you know, and health and performance. Right. And, and I think, you know, what's, what's cool that Doug and I started experimenting with in the, how do you, how can you continue to be able to support people remotely, you know, and so that players can continue to develop, you know, uh, in all ways, you know, including the mental game, you know, when you're not there, right? Because I think, I think the consultant role, I think Doug would agree, is a little bit limited, um, because you know you could have ten mental performance coaches, right? But that's still not enough to be able to scale an organization that's as big as baseball. Um, you know, every team, even though we, and again, we've reduced the number of affiliates that we have at every organization to where it used to be like the Yankees had like six minor league teams. Now, small market clubs like the Rockies and the Reds. They have four, not including our complex leagues uh, at our respective uh, spring training locations in the Dominican Republic, right? So even even with that small amount of affiliates, again, the scale is a challenge. And I found that ironic because scale has always been a challenge in in the mental performance work in the military too. So like I've been becoming really passionate about those similarities between the military, especially elite populations and elite athletes, and bringing those worlds together was something I spent a lot of time. Uh, doing last year and exploring that with the reds and also doug and i were doing that as well too because they are more similar than they are different actually in terms of that lifestyle um but it's a grind i mean they call it the grind for a reason you know and it, it's difficult and for me just having spent a lot of time away from home um you know both in the military you know it was really and this isn't to take away from what doug's doing you know it just for me in my personal situation it, it didn't work and um and, and fortunately you know I, I got a great another great opportunity to go Go work at Texas A&M, continue to be able to serve my serve our country, and work in the national security, defense, innovation space. Um, and but the good news there is I still get to continue to be a coach, and it's all about people and all about human behaviors and and shaping the way that we think and how we act. And so I still get to do what I love, but I do it in a different capacity. Um, I'll still do consulting, probably with sports in some capacity, uh, especially with Texas A&M. So be on the lookout for that. 
uh, just a matter of time. Um, and so it's just, it's another way to be able to get, it's for us, it's all about people and continuing to be able to serve, right? Especially people who are, or, or have a lot of pressure uh, to perform on a day-to-day basis. And it's, and it's interesting to me, I remember having this first conversation with Chris Woodward when I was the, the coach for the head, the, the field manager for the Rangers when he was the third base coach for the Mariners. I, I spent, again, I was side hustling from the beginning after West Point. And I spent a season with the Mariners, your team, um, in 2015. And I, I never remember, I'm in uniform. I just come off work, drove up to Seattle. I'm hanging out with Chris Woodward. And, and again, a lot of baseball players, you know, and, and Doug and I aren't like, Hey, chest beating. Hey, we're, you know, when we were in the army, this is how we did it. It's a very quiet thing. And eventually they're going to find out your background and they're like, you know, and, and there's a lot of reverence towards service members, especially with most athletes. And they're like, well, Hey, look, you know, when we start to, Hey, what you were doing was in combat. That, that was the ultimate thing. Your life was on the line. I can't imagine what that was like. Cause they had this concert in their mind that were constantly, we're over there constantly getting shot at and blown up. And, you know, based on what Hollywood and the media says, and, and I remember it at the time I turned, I said, Chris, I said, I appreciate that, but I didn't have the pressure you have to perform for your livelihood every single day on a, on a baseball field like you do. And to me, and I, and I just, I know Doug would probably agree with me. I mean, just seeing that pressure these guys put on themselves and, and seeing the pressure that they put on by their family, especially our Latin players whose entire, they have, you know, dozens of people who are relying on them to make it, you know, and these guys don't get paid a lot of money. And, you know, only a small percentage get paid a lot of money and everyone else is just trying to figure it out and, and, and trying to make it to the next level and, and survive game day to day and scratch and fight and claw to make it make their big league dreams come true. And that's the guys that we're working with. And, and they're a lot of like soldiers. Right. You know, they're in that same age group um, and they're just wearing a different uniform. And, and uh, just to be a part of their small part of their journey. Uh, was was really really special and i know that's what what keeps doug going you know um you know what what are your thoughts brother yeah i think you you hit a lot on the head there that you know demographically we're looking at a similar population of you know and i think that's the beauty of staying in uh in sport and even in the military or in, in academe is that you know, you, you get to work with young, motivated people <laughs> and they, they all stay young and motivated, you know, as they as they move on from uh, from sport. You know, they you get another a new batch of, of young, motivated people who just want to be great at what they do. Um, I think getting the opportunity to work in sport has you know, it's been enormous for me. I can never disconnect myself from from that need to, to, to feel like I'm competing in a certain way or I'm a part of something that's that's competitive and and driven that for me and, and like Andy's hit on we don't need to have uh, you know our names out in front of, of anybody and and you know that certainly doesn't I, I I describe it as kind of the offensive lineman role but uh, Andy's got his his different perspective on it but you know, you only should hear about me when I screw it up and, and everything else should be highlighting the, the uh, performance of other people. Right. So getting to work in sport, I love it. Uh, I can't see myself getting away from it, but another part of it that Andy's hit on is it's not just sport. There's, there's these other contexts and, and Joe was, Joe Ross has been uh, a part of this now for a number of years with, with higher echelon is, working with people in general, whether they're performing artists, uh, physicians, high profile corporate executives, 
there's pressure. There's 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 a need to perform every day there. And so this work uh, extends beyond just the, the sports psychology f field. Uh, it, it's it, even the brand or the name has changed from from sport to performance psychology because of that. It's it's people looking to be great at what they do uh, and understanding some of the, the the harder to develop aspects of that. And so uh, you know, I love I love sport. I'll never get away from it, but. Getting the opportunity to work with soldiers for many years, uh, I, I work a little bit right now with some trauma physicians, uh, people outside of this this uh, the context of sport. Uh, it's just as rewarding to see people reach their their or seek to reach their potential, uh, and helping them along that path is is all incredibly rewarding. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I was oh, God, say, it's it's just you know I, I think it what we found is that you know the military and sports is the ultimate or both the ultimate laboratories for human performance right and to live in and be in those arenas on, on the sideline is just uh it, it's been it's an amazing experience it's hard to really to put into words how special that is to be a part of those cultures and then but then also like Doug saying like to be to help cross pollinate though those best practices and the research and the what works both in those arenas and the other arenas. I mean, that that's what we're both about. And, uh, and, and the reason why we're here today talking to you, Sal. No doubt. Really, I appreciate you guys uh, telling us your stories from West Point to what you're doing now and just the relationships that you built with each other and also with, you know, athletes. Um, wanted to wrap it up with maybe some thoughts about um, maybe – some favorite moments of your days as, as an army football players, and also maybe what you think about, you know, the season kicks off tomorrow for army. They're at Georgia state. Um, you know, this is teams coming off a pretty successful season during some really trying times during COVID bring brings back a lot of talent. Maybe just get your thoughts on, uh, bring it back to army football a little bit um, with what you've maybe a favorite memory or what you think about this year's team. You want to go first, Andy? Yeah, I'll start, I guess. Um, to mine, you know, I'm going to deviate from like an on-the-field moment too because I think what's been great about being around Army football players and hearing their stories, it really has nothing to do with, you know, what, what happens, you know, on the field, right? You know, it's all the, the stuff that happens off the field and practice or hanging out with your brothers and the guys, like the this tight nucleus of guys that I are – I didn't have brothers growing up. They are my brothers. I mean, you know, and they're the next best thing to it. And the guys that I stay in touch with and they're kind of on my executive board, I guess. But uh, a particular more, uh, moment that I remember I had was just um, during the off season and just how hard we worked. And I remember uh, Satan, shout out to, to Scott Swanson, uh, who's battling cancer. And uh, it just, just a guy who's just been a rock in our program for so many years. I mean, I mean, the guy – Folks, the guy's getting chemo every single day, and I don't want to talk about his business. And he's showing up to work every single day, and just he just represents all things toughness in my mind, and and, and just exuding and, and exuding that, and teaching us how to how to exemplify that as MRA football players. And I'll never forget an offseason workout where we had to go run up to the back, you know, a hot summer day, you know, uh, it's it's Piat or whatever it was, our offseason workout with the juniors and seniors, and he had some ridiculous workout plan that took us several hours to compete, where we ended up running up to the back of the 
back of the uh, to the very top, the very high point at West Point, actually not too far from where Doug and I used to live up on Stony Lonesome. And, uh, you know, they had to run down the back of the ski slope, touch the touch the lodge, run back up the ski slope. And that was just the beginning. It was like this manga die, uh, this, this skull session uh, of a workout. And I just wanted to quit so many times. And just like, you know, and I just remember leaning on my brothers to the left and the right and to physically get through that, to mentally get through that, socially get that, that, you know, and then that to me was the epitome of like an army football moment, man. It's like when nobody's looking and when everybody else is hanging out and taking breaks, um, army football players, black knights are, are, are running the dance ski slope, getting after it and, and forging men and leaders of character, man. And, uh, and to me, that was what it was all about. Yeah, it's great stuff, man. Um, certainly, the, the things away from the field is is uh, w- those were part of uh, the experience. You're spending hours and hours and hours a day with with these individuals, and the fact that you even want to see their faces when when you leave the academy is uh, is in some ways surprising. But you know, you you form these bonds with with the, your teammates, uh, and I still you know, connect with them um, just. Texting one of them this morning from uh, we're trying to get together, trying to sneak up to the uh, Georgia Clemson game this weekend. <laughs> and I was going to stay with Jeff Hank, but uh, he's got his family's got COVID. So uh, thoughts and, and prayers for for quick healing for them. But uh, I mean, I think for me, I have to go to an on the field moment or a couple of moments from my, my first year. Um, the, the Air Force game uh, back in 1996 at home, it was the first, maybe the second game under the lights at Mikey, but they had to bring in light standards. Uh, they didn't even have them that were bright enough. And, uh, you know, national TV and, and uh, Air Force had beaten Notre Dame that year, and, they, and we hadn't beaten them in close to 10 years. Um, and we really I, I look at it like a team in the zone, uh, you know, you think about your zone moments, but they're, they're kind of uh, they're, they're infrequent at best and they're usually pretty short. But just that whole experience, just seeing how invested the core cadets was uh, in the emotion on the guys uh, that they were able to manage during the game. But afterwards, you know, just tears of, of joy after beating Air Force after so long and then getting to raise the commander in chief's trophy after uh, a really challenging uh navy battle that that uh that game in the rain there in in the old vet uh which was a a challenge in itself with the turf monsters everywhere uh but uh being able to raise the the commander-in-chiefs in in front of the president of the united states is uh, pretty special (laughs) so those are those are two of the moments i remember that really won't ever leave me i don't think um and then you know being able to be undefeated against them was against navy was was fantastic so i'll take those yeah i guess as you know army football grads it's great to see that success that the current black knights are having in the commander-in-chief's trophy um with um navy and air force right three of the last four years that trophy's been at west point and uh, right now you have to say that army is the top uh, football program of the service academies with the run they've had under jeff munkin man it's got to be pretty prideful to see where they've come right and where they are now um for you guys Right. I, I'm guessing it's just just really uh, a great time to be an Army football uh, fan and grad, no doubt. 
Yeah, yeah no we, question. We can I, come I, out of hiding. Yeah, we 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 were in hiding for a little while. I mean, let's face it. I mean, and I I remember on those distros that uh, of the, some really disgruntled former Army football players and Doug being on the brunt of that. Yeah, and uh, when and during the lean years, so to to be, you know, and, and we were always supporting, right? You know, and so but to to be a proud Army football player and fly the flag is. And for, you know, for, you know, when I was in the military or, you know, the people find out you're an army football player and their kind of eyes go up and, you know, and, and uh, they're like, wow, you know, army's army's pretty damn good, you know, and they're, they're a powerhouse and they're a force to be reckoned with. Nobody wants to play us. And uh, to hear the guys who were on the sidelines for the Oklahoma game and the Michigan game, and, and they're, they're getting back on the text. They're like, whoa, these guys are big, they're fast, they're strong, and they're as tough and not tougher as we were. And so, and I, I just hats off to Jeff Munkin and, and the leadership for what they're doing. I mean, just to, to keep going, keep pounding the stone, boys. Uh, and we're, we're behind you in the Army Football Brotherhood all the way. Yeah, well said, Andy. I think, you know, the Coach Munkin and that staff is, has changed the expectations around the program. And that was the, the biggest challenge, I think, was, you know, understanding that it, this isn't just, you know, having the, the right athletes at the right time. This is uh, understanding that it's going to take a whole lot of work to get to the, to where we should be, not where we are right now. And, and to see the way that they perform with an expectation of winning, you know, for so many years, they would find really painful ways of lo losing games that they should have won. And, and now it's a, it's a different result and seeing the way they battled through the air force and, and uh, Navy games this last year, winning the commander chiefs at home uh, against you know, I mean, they weren't they weren't a healthy team. The whole uh, COVID scenario around the whole season. I mean, it was it was unimaginably difficult. I think about what they went through in terms of not being able to leave the academy for a year and a half or however long it was. You know, not even be able to get away from that place. Uh, that's just unbelievable discipline that that uh, the guys demonstrated and really a source of pride for for those of us who who played the game uh long ago <laughs> but but seeing the way that they go about their business and and finding ways to come out on top that's important you know and i think that that's something that uh has been reiterated over the last couple of years is that finding finding ways to to win uh is something that will carry on with them throughout their careers and uh in in on other fields on other days i would describe like this the, the army team right now is, is inspirational right there's a there's a mental edge to these guys right now and i just wrote a, a story about their one of their uh a junior captain mark Marquel Broughton and just a lot of these guys have stories and and you guys have probably had teammates too that have you know you know they've had some tough times growing up and then they get to West Point and then they they're able to kind of find themselves and become leaders and not just on the field but off the field and just some of the things that they've been through in life are, are, are unimaginable and the fact that they can bond at West Point and form that brotherhood and that's what they always say you know people take that take that word lightly i think brotherhood sometimes but when you you yeah. do, you you're around the west point program and you see the connections that people have it's not just for 4 years it, it, it it's really for life and the, how you guys are able to still probably right now connect with maybe some 
football players that maybe you didn't play with. Maybe they came earlier. Maybe yeah. they came later. Maybe they're on the team. I know I was talking to Rob Healy in a podcast earlier this week. Christian Anderson, the quarterback for Army, sent him a letter like recently, just 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 connecting with him. And that's a quarter. That's 1985 and 2021. You know, so there's your connection right there. The bond's incredible. You guys have formed a great one too. And maybe we can just uh, kind of wrap up the podcast with just you know that 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 side of it. Yeah, I'll just say that you know to my my closing thoughts were too. I mean, it it starts like you know, we keep talking about that quote, and you know, and I want to look at that that plaque that we touch on the way out, it says, you know, I want an officer for a secret and dangerous mission. I want a West Point football player, you know, and man, I, I got to tell you, like, we don't talk about this a lot, but the the guys that they're playing army football and army athletics, there, there's some dudes out in the military who are leaders to the nth degree um, who are called upon to do the hardest and, and most difficult missions, um, you know, from Ranger regiment to special operations and Delta force to, becoming infantry and artillery leaders, you know, um, the guys that I play with guys like Tom Gecki, who's going to take 10th mountain, uh, artillery here at Disa King, like general Pat work. I mean, our superintendent general Dylan Williams and, and our retired general Kaz. I mean, there are some straight up dudes out in the world who are former army football players. And I not even even talked about in the corporate world, like, you know, who are just crushing it, you know, and just leading the way, as far as what you want and what you look for in, in a you know in a leader, and and that's what you get. And uh, when you invest process, they're they're up at the stadium every single day, and uh, and I'm just really proud to be a small part of that. Oh yeah, I, I just would reiterate that piece. There's so many. It's it's hard to even name names because you think across their teammates and you think across. Uh, the generations of, of Army football players, former cadet athletes, West Point graduates in general, you're just surrounded by these incredible people uh, that you should feel pretty good about being connected to. And, and I do. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I probably don't stay as well connected as I'd like. Uh, the, the job is part of that, that, that keeps me pretty busy and on the road a lot. But, uh, but knowing that I can't and knowing that, uh, you know, we've, we're generating another um, at least generation of, of future leaders that, that are coming out of that institution, they're coming out of that program specifically, who are really special. And, and they're going to be important in the Army and, and whatever field they, they decide to be great at. You know, I've... I've uh, I've had my uh, my shoulder replaced in the last year, uh, <laughs> some of the remnants of Army football, but uh, uh, unfortunately, it's got to be re-replaced, and uh, I've got a, a 93 grad who's going to take care of that for me. Um, so, I mean, you just come across these, these incredible people uh, along the path of, of life that, that come out of that institution. I would say far more so than the Naval and the Air Force Academy. <laughs> Had to get that dig in. Get, Got to get it in. Shots fired. Absolutely. Okay. We we can we can wrap it up on that, right? I mean, that's that's a good way. That's a good way to close this out. But man, what a great what a great uh, time it's been talking to you guys and just hearing your stories and just we we talk, we we covered a lot. If you're um, 
an Army football fan and you want to ha- uh, enjoy podcasts like this, you can go on all pod- podcast platforms. We're at Black Knight Nation. We have a YouTube channel that's growing, and we're putting also we're putting uh, uh, current content from a. Uh, Coach Munkin's press conferences, player interviews. Uh, we're going to have some. I hope to have a post game, uh, post game podcast this week, this weekend after um, the Georgia State game. Um, and you could follow us. We have uh, Black Knight Nation t shirts, blacknightnation.com. Take a look at those. And uh, guys, really, Andy and Doug, really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sal. Go Army, baby. Thank you for having us, man. Great conversation. We appreciate it and wishing nothing but the best for the Army team this year. Be Georgia State.